Happy May. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a while coming, huh? <laughs> uh, a little trivia here for you. If you know what that is, raise your hand, but don't say anything. There's about, uh, well, less than 10, it looks like, that actually know, uh, that recognize that um, for what it is. Uh, someone, someone say it. The Medal of Honor, sometimes referred to as the Congressional Medal of Honor. Um, it's pretty distinctive. There are three different versions of the Medal of Honor for the military. They have one for the Army. That's the one that you're looking for. I'm sorry, that's the one that you're looking at with the, uh, just above the star is the uh, Eagle. There is one for the Navy and the Marine Corps and the Coast Guard. They use the naval one where, uh, where the eagle is, there would be an anchor, and the star is a little bit different. And then the one for the Air Force where the eagle is, there would be sort of lightning bolt arrows. Um, and again, their, their five-pointed star would be a little bit different. But the blue ribbon, the bright blue ribbon, that, that's the really distinctive part. That's the same on all of them, uh, regardless of the branch of service that you're in. And uh, it has the 13 distinct white stars right there in the center. So that's the same regardless. This is always presented by the President of the United States. And uh, there are some privileges that come. First of all, you need to understand this is the highest honor you can receive, the highest award that you can receive in the, U in the U.S. military, above all others by far. Okay, And uh, some of the privileges that come with this um, particular award are that regardless of your rank or your time of service, if you receive the Medal of Honor, you receive a military pension for the rest of your life. So if, if you just serve two years as a private, you still get a military pension for the rest of your life. Uh, your children are automatically uh, eligible to attend the service academies, West Point, Annapolis, Colorado Springs, or uh, New London, Connecticut for the Coast Guard. And the... Uh, the recipient is also automatically eligible to be buried at Arlington National Cemetery, he and his close family, his wife or she. And uh, they get free military flights, uh, Department of Defense flights, for the rest of their life. Um, so there's a few different privileges that go with it. They get invited to all presidential inaugurations. And the coolest one of all, to me, is that regardless of their rank and regardless of when they received the award, they could be, you know, an 80-year-old man in a pair of blue jeans and a flannel shirt walking across a military base somewhere where there's all kinds of soldiers wearing all kinds of brass on their collar. But if they're wearing that award, everyone salutes them, even the four-star generals. doesn't matter what their rank was. If they received the Medal of Honor, Everyone recognizes that as the highest honor bestowed upon a military person in the United States, and they salute them. Now, uh, the United States has issued about 3,500 uh, of these awards over the years, going, dating back to the Civil War, and about half of them, about half of them were actually uh, given out during the Civil War. So only about 1,700 have been given, given out since then. One interesting change is that since World War I, there, after World War I, there was a change. World War I and prior, they were normally given to living recipients. Generally speaking, the Medal of Honor was given to someone who was alive, who survived battle or whatever. After World War I, that changed. And, uh, and since then, 
Most often, this award is given posthumously, so it's given to the family uh, of someone who died in battle. And uh, it's given for acts of really valor. As a matter of fact, it says, I can't really see it on there, but just below the eagle, it says valor um, on the award, which means strength of mind or spirit that enables a person to encounter danger with firmness. Strength of mind or spirit. Now, of those 35 or so hundred people that, uh, 3,500 or so people who have received the Medal of Honor, there are approximately 80 alive today. So think about how rare it is to meet a recipient of the Medal of Honor. 80 on the entire planet who are alive today, right? That's pretty rare. Four of them are from Wisconsin. Isn't that amazing? I think it says something good about how we raise people here in Wisconsin and our values here. Four of them are from Wisconsin. Bob Madrajewski, from, uh, I think he was originally from Wausau. Kenny Stumpf from the Nina Appleton area. Einar Ingman, uh, I think he's from over by the La Crosse area. And Gary Wetzel from down, down in Milwaukee. All four of them um, still living. Uh, Einar Ingman was from the Korean War. The other three were from uh, the Vietnam the Vietnam War. So quite an honor uh, to be able to meet one of, one of these people, quite an honor for them to receive it. And I should probably point this out to you as well. We had Gary Wetzel, the fellow that lives down in South Milwaukee, came up to our uh, department meeting last year in May during police week. He was our guest of honor and, and helped us recite our oath of honor, told a little bit of, of his story. He's, he's a charming individual. He's very frank. He knows how to, he knows how to, to tune his message to the audience that he has, but he's a very, very frank individual. And uh, I should mention that the Medal of Honor Society has videos of all the living recipients and the recently departed, including Desmond Dawes, where they tell their story, about an eight-minute clip for each one, and you want to be inspired. Wow, just go watch some of those. They just they have them all on YouTube. Incredible, incredible stories. I'll come back and, and talk about that in a minute. But Gary Wetzel... Um, uh, we learned about him, and we invited him, and he came up, and uh, he started correcting me because I kept talking about how he had earned the Medal of Honor or how he had won the Medal of Honor. And every time I said that, he corrected me. He says, no one wins the Medal of Honor. No one earns the Medal of Honor. You receive it. It's bestowed on you, and you receive it. And so I had to learn to try to change my language and refer to him as a recipient, not a winner of the Medal of Honor, but a recipient of the Medal of, Honor, Medal of Honor. And they are very, very particular about that. And all of these living recipients keep in contact with each other. They know each other well. Gary Wetzel knows or knew very well uh, Desmond Doss. We had a long conversation about Desmond Doss. So I want to go back and I want to summarize five things I want you to remember that are privileges uh, for the people who receive this award, okay? And I'm going to change the wording on a little bit. We talked a little bit about... Um, they get the free Department of, Flight, uh, Department of Defense flights, right? We said that. So that's one I want you to remember, free flights. Got it? Number two, they have a lifelong pension. Okay? Number three, talked about being invited to inaugurations. Let's put it this way. They are invited to the highest events of their country's leadership. They're invited to the highest events of their country's leadership. Talked about Arlington. I'm going to word it this way. They are eligible to be, en I'm sorry, they are eligible to enter sacred grounds. I don't know if you know how, how much you know about Arlington, 
and, uh, and the significance of that place, 600 and some acres, uh, formerly, the, formerly the estate of the Lee family where Robert E. Lee uh, lived for a period of time. You're probably most familiar with the Tomb of the Unknowns. It used to be known as Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, but now there's more than one person that is, uh, that is entombed there. And uh, so they have one from World War I, one from World War II, one from Korea, and they had one from Vietnam, but they disinterred the remains, identified them, and gave them to the family, and he was buried in Missouri. But there's a whole lot of ceremony. There's a whole lot of prestige. But you understand that that Arlington National Cemetery is considered really sacred grounds. And uh, so they are eligible to enter those sacred grounds. And number five, the one that I talked about before, they are saluted by all. Okay, so we can remember that. They they have free flights, lifelong pension, invited to the highest events of their country's leadership. They're eligible to enter sacred grounds. They're saluted by all. Why in the world am I standing up in a church talking about all of that? Well, let me ask you. In the concept of giving rewards, how do you go about, how do we as people go about telling someone that they did a good job? How do you say, well done? Sometimes we say, well done, right? We simply verbalize it. We, we simply say that. And, uh, but what other ways do we as human beings recognize each other, reward each other for something good? A gift. Perhaps I give somebody, if somebody graduates from high school, we give them a graduation gift, right? Another? A party, someone said. That was a young voice that said a party. Huh? I I can't hear what you're saying. A raise? Okay, well, that's kind of a gift too, right? I mean, a financial financial reward for that. Think sports. A trophy. But if you're watching the game, do you give your favorite player a trophy? What do you do when they do something good? You cheer. We make noise. We clap. We stomp our feet. We stand up. We do the wave. Right? We do all kinds of stuff to show either visually or audibly or both to, to sort of encourage people on. Right? That's part of what we do as, uh, as human beings. Uh, cheering, applause, even hugs. Right? We sometimes, somebody does a good job, we give them a hug. Touching sometimes is an important way of showing uh, appreciation, of, of giving a reward. You know, police officers are particularly bad at this. When's the last time you got pulled over because you did something right? Yeah, I just wanted to let you know. I'm pulling you over. I just want to let you know you're doing a great job driving. I mean, you're right between the lines. Your speed is excellent. You know, and you know what happens. Which which cops get noticed by their supervisors? Uh, I get, I'm sorry. Which, which, which police officers do you think get the most positive attention from their supervisors? The ones who catch a lot of people doing things wrong or the ones who catch a couple people doing things wrong, right? The better you become at catching people doing things wrong, the more esteem you get as a police officer. And you build, you build some credibility that way. And you do so well at that, they promote you. And you become a supervisor. And you're in charge of other people. And you know what you're really good at? Catching people doing things wrong. And they come up and say, how oh, do you never tell me I do anything right? Because that's not what I'm good at. We're We're learning. We're, we're, we're coming along on that. How do parents say, well done, to their children? We don't probably 
clap and stomp and do the wave. But probably the words are significant. Some of the most important things that we do to encourage our children in the right direction. You know, when things are going the way we want them to go, we give encouragement, we applaud that. When things are going the way we don't want them to go, we correct that. It's a pretty simple concept, but it works for us. Sometimes we may give gifts. Sometimes even a written note can be um, a, a significant piece of encouragement, a piece of cheerleading for a child. I can distinctly remember that it used to drive me crazy when we would go visiting my parents' friends, and I was, especially when I was a teenager, I don't know why, but I was more sensitive as a teenager to these things, go figure, and my father would tell a story about me. And it was always something bad I did. It was always, he was pointing out, you know, some negative thing kind of putting me down in front of his friends. And I hated that. But I can remember a couple of times where I had done something good and he bragged about me in front of his friends. And you know how much that meant. You know what that felt like as a child to hear your father bragging about you to his friends. That's a pretty important role we play as parents in rewarding our children. How did Jesus say, well done? Those are his exact words, obviously, that I'm borrowing from Matthew 25, 21. We know that story, that parable that he told of the, uh, uh, of the, rich, uh, the rich landowner, and he had the three servants, and uh, he entrusted some, some, uh, some money to each one of them, and he came back, and he came to the first and who had doubled the investment, and the second one had doubled the investment. And so to those first two, these are his words. Is his Lord said unto him, well done. Thou good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Powerful words. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but in the Sermon on the Mount, when you listen to the words of Jesus, he's talking about rewards. All right? I'll give you the behavior or the character trait. You tell me what the reward is. Blessed are the poor in spirit for... There is the kingdom of heaven. That's a reward. Blessed are they that mourn for. That's their reward. Blessed are the meek for they. They get a reward. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for. Blessed are the merciful for they shall. And blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. All of them, well, let me do one more. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All of them, he sets them up with a behavior or a character trait that sets them apart. And then he says, here's what their reward is, right? Here's the behavior and here's the reward. And then going on from there in Matthew 5, he says, blessed are you. Blessed are you when? When men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward. It's very clear here he's talking about rewards. Now, the, uh, the Greek word there that's translated and it's used several times in the New Testament is mystos, and the literal translation 
is wages. As a matter of fact, it's translated as wages in other, in other places in the, in the New Testament. Your wages, great are your wages in heaven. Does that bother you just a little bit? Doesn't it sort of sound like salvation by works, right? Right? You're earning your way into heaven. It's what you do, how good you can be, sort of pharisaical. You follow the rules. You do all the right things. You earn your way into heaven. You get a passport. Well, that's what it sounds like a little bit. But if we go back to verse 11, turn turn with with me in your Bibles there to Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, when he goes through the Beatitudes. It goes through all of the Beatitudes, and then it comes down to this one that talks about uh, rejoice and be exceeding glad. So go to verse 11 of Matthew 5. Here's where that mystos word is used that is sometimes translated wages. All right? And let's analyze what the work is that is done to earn those wages. Verse 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for greater your wages in heaven. What was the work you did? Does it say you kept the commandments? Does it say you avoided all flesh and meat? Does it say that you were faithful in coming each Sabbath to church? Does it say that you held a high position in the church or that you gave an honest tithe? What does it say? It's talking about what other people are doing to you, right? And what is your role in that? It's your faith, is it not? You are, despite all of that, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. You are faithful despite the penalties that are associated with that. You are faithful despite whatever is going on, whatever the world is trying to do to influence you to go their way. You are standing firm in what you believe. And your wages for that, your wages for that are great in heaven. It's not salvation by works. It's still by faith are ye saved through grace. Is it not? It's still the same thing. And praise the Lord for that. Can you name for me a Medal of Honor recipient? Well, Desmond Doss. We all pretty much know that name, right? We really struggle naming another one. We really struggle naming another one. I told you about some of them from Wisconsin, the four from Wisconsin. Um, and, of course, you can go on this, on this website and learn about uh, many, many of them. There's been one from the Coast Guard, by the way, through the history of uh, the Coast Guard, a, a fellow named uh, Douglas Monroe, who was, uh, he, he was, uh, he was uh, what do you call it, a driver, a pilot of a, uh, of a troop uh, landing transport, one of these kind of boats where the front gate goes down and then they storm up on the beach. And it was in World War II, and I can't remember where they were, but he was the driver of this boat. And, of course, they get shot at when they're the driver of the boat and those kinds of things. So there's a lot of danger involved in this. He's delivering a load of Marines to this shore, and, uh, and they have to they, they get repelled, and he has to is- get them to escape off of this beach again and get them back to safety. And uh, so he maneuvers his boat between the enemy and the Marines that they're trying to get off in order to block the bullets from coming in. And uh, he, takes, he gets hit several times, and uh, when they get to him, 
and, uh, and they're trying to get him out. He dies from his injuries, but as they're taking him out, his last words are, did they all get off? All he could think about was, did all of these Marines that I was trying to save, did they all get off the beach? Um, I want to read a short excerpt from a very recent one. This is, from, this is not a posthumous uh, award. This is one for someone who lived through a fellow named Captain William Swenson from the Army. This was issued last October, but I believe that the incident occurred in 2009. Just going to read a short excerpt from the, from the Medal of Honor citation. It says, Captain Swenson ignored enemy radio transmission demanding surrender and maneuvered uncovered to render medical aid to a wounded fellow soldier. They had, they had been kind of swarmed, and uh, the enemy had closed in on three sides. Uh, Captain Swenson stopped administering aid long enough to throw a grenade at an approaching enemy forces before assisting with moving the soldier for air evacuation. With complete disregard for his own safety, Captain Swenson unhesitatingly led a team in an unarmored vehicle into the kill zone, exposing himself to enemy fire on at least two occasions to recover the wounded and search for four missing comrades. After using aviation support to mark locations of fallen and wounded comrades, it became clear that the ground recovery of the fallen was required due to heavy enemy fire on the helicopter landing zones. Captain Swenson's team returned to the kill zone another time in a Humvee. Captain Swenson voluntarily exited the vehicle, exposing himself to enemy fire to locate and recover three fallen Marines and one fallen Navy corpsman, in other words, a medic. I don't know if you heard it in there. But I don't care if you read his, Captain Swenson's, or if you read the Desmond Doss story, or if you listen to Gary Wetzel tell his story, or Einar Ingman, or Kenny Stump, or any of these guys. You go to consistently, over and over, what you hear in the citation for these wards are not what they did to the enemy. It's what they did for each other. Certainly true for Desmond Doss, is it not? Same for these other guys. Not that they didn't throw a grenade or they weren't involved in engaging the enemy, but what gets rewarded is looking out for each other, helping each other, saving a fallen comrade. You know, one of the most common ways the Medal of Honor is given out these days, posthumously, is when a grenade comes in to a group of people and someone takes it. One of the soldiers, one of the Marines, whoever it is, to protect those in the room or those wherever they are, they dive on it and take the explosion themselves, and it kills them, but it saves everyone else in, in that place. It's that kind of a thing. It's not what they did to the enemy. It's what they did for their own. Does that remind you of any Bible verse? Probably reminds you of more than one. But it reminds me of one in particular. We recently celebrated Easter. And I don't know if you, uh, if you uh, get into some of the traditions of the Christian church on, on Easter, but there are a lot of them, obviously. We have Fat Tuesday, where you can load up before Lent, and Lent is that time, starting on Ash Wednesday, where you, you, you know, the tradition of the church, of the, especially the Catholic church and, and others, is that you give up something. Uh, maybe it's sweets. Uh, for the most part, they'll stop eating I was going to say meat, but they don't count fish as meat, so it depends how you. It depends a little on your definition there. Um, but it's a time where that's, you know, you're giving something up. And then there's Palm Sunday and uh, and Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and and of course uh, Easter Sunday. Um, and and all of the things that we do during Easter week that are associated with the church there are not directed from the Bible. They're merely traditions of the church, right? Lent is not directed in the Bible. You won't find anything about Lent in the Bible. It says nothing about that. 
I mean, they, they model it after Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. It's 40 days of Lent, even though it's not really 40 days because they don't count Sundays. Did you know that? So it's actually 46 days of Lent. Uh, but what is Maundy Thursday? Where does that word come from? Somebody know? Oh, you heard my sermon before. Maundy, <laughs> Maundy Thursday, it comes from the Latin word mandatum, which is where we get the word mandate and the word mandatory. And it's because on that Thursday, Jesus gave a new mandate. He said, a new commandment I give you. And what was that new commandment? Love one another. Think of the setting when he gives that commandment. He has just gone. It's the Last Supper. It's that Thursday. They're in the upper room. He has gone and washed the disciples' feet. That example of servitude has been, has been given. Then he has announced, I am about to be betrayed. Okay? So he, 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 he does the servitude. He announces that he's about betrayed. And then he gives this new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. They'll know that you're my disciples because you love one another. That's a mandate. When we think of that's the one thing I hope you remember when you listen to these things about Easter, whether you whether you follow those traditions of the church or not, is when you hear Maundy Thursday, that's a mandate, that's a new commandment, love one another. And that's what I'm reminded of when I read through these accounts of the, the recipients of the Medal of Honor and the citations. They are taking care of each other. They are valuing someone else's life above their own. All right, let's go back to the unmerited reward here. Tell me if you can guess who said this. We lose much by not talking more of Jesus and of heaven, the saint's inheritance, or I would say reward. The more we contemplate heavenly things, the more new delights we shall see, and the more our hearts will be brimful of thanks to our beneficent creator. Those are the words of Ellen White. What she's telling us, we need to be thinking about heaven more. We We need to get that image in our mind a little bit more about what the reward is. You can go to, you can listen to a lot of sermons and they'll talk about what the alternative is, what the penalty is. We need to focus a lot on what the reward is, what the inheritance of this saint is. The more we contemplate heavenly things, the more new delights we shall see, and the more our hearts will be brimful of thanks to our Creator. Have you ever had the experience, I will call it the experience of scale, where, I don't know, maybe you had something and it was pretty cool. And then you got a bigger one, and that was really cool. And then you found out, there's a bigger one. Wow, that's really cool. And then uh, another kid in school has one that's 10,000 times the size of yours. You ever have something like that happen? You know, that experience of scale where, you you know, you make that first step and it's like, wow, I I never really envisioned that something could be so grand, so big, so whatever. 
And then there's perhaps another expansion. It's like, what? I just can't. I couldn't believe it. And then something happens that is so far outside of what you're, what has been normal to you that it just completely blows your mind. This next week is, is we're giving, we're having our our weekly. I'm sorry, our annual uh, department meeting in celebration of Police Week, which is actually the week after. And so we're going to give out department awards. So we will give out like an Exceptional Service Award, an Outstanding Arrest Award, and someone will get, one person will get, Officer of the Year. Pretty prestigious award, is it not? That is a pretty cool award. Officer of the Year. One officer gets it. And if I received that award, I would be pretty impressed. Right? I mean, if I was an officer and I received that, that would mean a lot to me. But there's also a statewide officer of the year. So in comparison, <laughs> in comparison, okay, I mean, this is a big deal. I'm not, I'm not minimizing it. It's a big deal. But there are bigger deals. And a statewide officer of the year would be quite something else. But then if you met someone who won the Congressional Medal of Honor, you're not even in the same ballpark. Understand what I'm saying? That's that experience of scale. We try to find things to imagine what heaven, what our reward is going to be like. Picture your own, whatever that is. Mine's up north, I can tell you that. It's on a lake shore, and there's birch trees and pine trees nearby. And that's my heaven, right? And... Uh, and I can hear the loon calling on the lake, and I can see the eagle flying through the sky. That's the closest thing I can get to imagining what heaven is like. But it ain't even close. On, on, a, on, a, on an experience of scale, I'm, I'm down there in one of those little clumps that is just an infinitesimally, I don't think I said that right, inf- really small, compared, it's incomparable to what heaven is really like, the best that we can try to do. Ellen White says, the most exalted language fails to describe the glory of heaven or the matchless depths of a Savior's love. I did get Officer of the Year once. I actually got it twice at two different departments. But that's nothing compared to getting a state Officer of the Year, and that's nothing at all compared to getting the Congressional Medal of Honor. But a Congressional Medal of Honor recipient, compared to what you receive as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ and inheriting the kingdom of heaven, nothing at all. You can't even compare. As grand and glorious as we might make that sound on this earth. I want to review what I told you about the Medal of Honor recipients, what those privileges were. And I'm going to make an analogy, and I'm going to say, you know what? We have some of those same privileges very much as recipients of heaven, the heavenly reward. We get free flights. We don't have to book it either. We just flap and go. We get a lifelong pension. You're taken care of for as long as you live, forever. You will be invited to the highest events of your country's leadership. Whatever's going on, you're invited. You are eligible to enter sacred grounds. All of heaven is yours. And that's pretty sacred ground. And the coolest one of all, 
is that everybody salutes you. Angels. I don't know if they're going to salute in heaven. I don't know if a wing can do that. I don't know if they are going to clap in heaven. I don't know if they will stomp their feet and make noise or do the wave. I don't know what it's going to look like. But I can tell you this. The angels are going to cheer for us in heaven. Because of the great award, reward we have received. Not because we earned it, but because we were faithful. And the grace of Jesus was sufficient to get us there. I don't know if you can imagine. You know, there are people who believe. Does the, does the Bible say anything about the feathers on the wings of the angels? No mention. Not that I can find them. I can't find it. I don't know exactly what their an angel's wings are made of or how they're constructed. Some people believe that they have feathers. There are actually some churches that they'll find little pieces of feathers and they say, "Oh, an angel, an angel was here. There's proof there was an angel here." Um, I, I don't know all about uh, all about that. What I do know is that the angels. You know that song, uh, "Holy, Holy." Uh, I think it's 425 in the hymnal. The angels are pretty magnificent beings. But receiving the reward of heaven as we receive it, by faith, through the grace of Jesus Christ, they haven't experienced that. The song brings that out very well, 425. The the author talks about hearing another, uh, another, in verse 2 it says, I heard another song, another anthem. In in verse 3 it says, And then the angels stand and listen, for they cannot join that song like the sound of many waters by that happy blood-washed throng. For they sing about great trials, battles fought, and victories won. And they praise their great Redeemer who has said to them, Well done. Holy, holy is what the angels sing. And I expect to help them make the courts of heaven's ring. But when I sing redemption story, they will fold their wings. For angels never felt the joys that our salvation brings. But they'll cheer for us. They'll flap their wings or they'll pound the ground or they'll applaud. or I don't know what it's going to be, but they will honor us and they will cheer for us for the reward that we have received, not achieved, but received in reaching heaven by the grace of God. I want you to try with me to get a little bit more of a glimpse of heaven you can pick your favorite place, the most heaven-like place. You know that it's going to be a, a, a cheap substitute for, and not even comparable to what heaven really is. But I want to read some words from Ellen White. After her first vision, when she was 18 years old, and was shown what heaven looked like in a vision. So I want you to close your eyes. This is a little bit long of a reading, but uh, I, have, I have broken it down a little bit and abbreviated it, but... The cloud comes, they see this cloud coming, and Jesus is on the cloud. And now it says, Jesus spoke and said, Those who have clean hands and pure hearts shall be able to stand. My grace is sufficient for you. And at this, our faces lighted up, and joy filled every heart. And the angels struck a note higher and sang again. There's that cheering. While the cloud drew still nearer the earth. And then Jesus' silver trumpet sounded, and he descended on the cloud. And wrapped in flames of fire, he cried, Awake, 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 ye that sleep in the dust, and arise. And then there was a mighty earthquake. The graves opened, and the dead came up, clothed with immortality. The 144,000 shouted, Alleluia, as they recognized their friends who had been torn from them by death. 
And in the same moment, we were changed and caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. We all entered the cloud together. And we were seven days ascending to the sea of glass when Jesus brought the crowns and with his own right hand placed them on our heads. He gave us harps of gold, palms of victory. Angels were all about us as we marched over the sea of glass to the gate of the city. Inside, we saw the tree of life and the throne of God. And out of the throne came a pure river of water. And on either side of the river was the tree of life. We all went under the tree and sat down to look at the glory of the place. When two brethren who had preached the gospel of the kingdom and whom God had laid in the grave to save them came up to us and asked us what we had passed through while they were sleeping. We tried to call up our greatest trials, but they seemed so small compared with the far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory that surrounded us. We could not speak them out. And all we could cry was, Alleluia, heaven is cheap enough. I saw a field of tall grass, most glorious to behold. It was living green and had a reflection of silver and gold as it waved proudly to the glory of King Jesus. And then we entered a field full of all kinds of beasts, the lion, the lamb, the leopard, the wolf, all together in perfect union. Mount Zion was just before us, and on the mount was a glorious temple. The wonderful things I there saw I cannot describe. Oh, that I could talk in the language of Canaan. Then I could tell a little of the glory of the better world. I saw the fruit of the trees of life, the manna, the almonds, figs, pomegranates, grapes, many other kinds of fruit. And I asked Jesus to let me eat of the fruit. And he said, not now. Those who eat of the fruit of this land go back to earth no more. But in a little while, if faithful, you shall both eat of the fruit of this tree and tree of life and drink of the water of the fountain. And he said, you must go back to the earth again and relate to others what I had revealed to you. And then an angel bore me gently down to this dark world. After I came out of vision, everything seemed changed. A gloom was spread over all that I beheld. Oh, how dark this world looked to me. I wept when I found myself here, and I felt homesick. I had seen a better world, and it had spoiled this one for me. Father in heaven, it is so hard for us to glimpse heaven. And no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, we are insufficient. We are victims of that experience of scale. But Father, I pray today that for each one of us here, you would give us a new taste of heaven, a new glimpse of heaven, a new experience to whet our appetite more for that great reward, not one that we earn, one that we simply receive through faith and the grace of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to focus on the reward and not on all of the dark and temporal and sinful things of this world, the things that so easily ensnare us. Help us to focus on the prize. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. God of heaven and creator of all, when men shall revile us and persecute us and say all manner of evil against us falsely for your sake, and that will happen, help us not to focus on the temporal, but instead to hear the applause of angels, to feel the warmth 
of the presence of Christ, to see the brightness of the throne, to feel thundering through all of heaven the joy in seeing us receive our reward and hearing us, hearing our Lord say to us, calling us by our first name and saying, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.